This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory in Ruskin, Florida. Thanks for joining us. North American native fishes are often overlooked and underappreciated as aquarium specimens. However, many of our native fishes not only make excellent aquarium subjects, but also rival some of the more commonly available fish in color and beauty. Combine this with the fact that you can go on your own collecting adventure, often near home or in your own backyard, and you have a great reason to think about North American native fishes for your next or first home aquarium. Among the many native darters, minnows, sunfish, and killifish, there's sure to be one that will suit your aquaristic tastes. Brian Skidmore has been keeping aquarium fish for over 30 years. While his initial interests were in cichlids, he has kept a variety of different types of aquarium fish over the years. More recently, Brian has focused his attention on killifish and North American native fishes, especially those native to Florida, where he has lived for the past 24 years. A participant of many collecting trips throughout the state and other southeastern states, through this experience he has been able to collect, photograph, and learn about many of Florida's native fishes. Brian is co-author of the Florida Collecting Guide, a guide to the collection, identification, and aquarium maintenance of Florida's non-game fishes, which was recently published in its third edition. Brian is also an active member of the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, the Suncoast Killifish Society, the American Killifish Association, and the North American Native Fish Association. So join us as we talk to Brian Skidmore about this really interesting group of fishes and what you need to know to keep them in your own home aquarium. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Brian Skidmore, and, and we're going to talk a little more in detail about North American native fishes and what you need to know with regard to collections, locations, and even what you need to do to keep them successfully in your home aquarium. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining us today. No problem, Roy. Uh, thank you for having me. So I know, uh, you know, I talk, we talked a little bit over the years, and I've known you for, for a while. You've, you've been pretty active in the hobby. What, when did you first become interested in fish? I think it was probably when I was around uh, 13 or 14 years old. Uh, I lived up in Michigan at the time, and I was in uh, junior high school. One of my friends mentioned in the class that he was uh, selling one of his aquariums, and I said, well, you know, that's something I might be interested in. I, I convinced my dad to drive me over to his house, and uh, next thing you know, I had a 20-gallon tank and, and an adopted fish in it. Probably within uh, <laughs> a month or so, I'd convinced my mom and dad to, to let me have a few more tanks, and uh, that's kind of where it took off. So what was your first fish, I guess, or your first group of fish in those, uh, in those tanks? 
back then it was um, pretty much linked to, to what my friend was keeping at the time and, and what I what I had learned a little bit about. I had, uh, oh, I think it was an Oscar, <laughs> probably a lot of people's first fish or first cichlid. Also had uh, acquired some firemouths, some smaller Oscars, and some Texas cichlids at that time. And um, was uh, kind of a uh, surprise and wonderment one day when I stuck my, my hand in the tank to adjust a rock and got bitten, and, and then I realized that, that, that it was actually a female fish that had laid a plaque of eggs on the rock, and, uh, of course, that led to more reading and, and uh, learning a little bit more about the fish, and it just kind of uh, ballooned from there, and uh, I've, I've had a fish tank, I think, pretty much uh, since then, with the exception of probably a dorm, a dorm room in college that didn't have one. So it sounds like you actually had a, uh, a North American native fish in that tank at the early outset of your, your career there. The Texas um, Cichlid, that's right. What kind of fish have you kept since then in general, and um, how did you kind of evolve over the course of your well, I've, program keeping? Yeah, I've, I've probably run the gamut. I've kept, as I said, cichlids, including your standard South Americans, Central Americans, and Africans, as well as discus. I've kept and bred angelfish. I've kind of, if I've had a specialty in cichlids, it's been with the, the dwarf cichlids of the genus Epistogramma, uh, which are the uh, South American dwarfs that you see. The familiar ones there are the, are the rams and the agassizai and the cacatoides that you see in the hobby. I've kept bettas and garamis, guppies, brackish waterfish. More recently, probably over the last 15 years, I've, I've had a big interest in killifish. And then um, about the same time as when I got interested in native fish. Yeah, when did you first become interested in natives then, and, and um, how did you get more involved with them? Well, I'd say it's probably around 15 or 20 years ago. I was uh, in the early days of my membership at the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, probably around 1992, and a gentleman came to talk at one of our club meetings, and Roy, you know who this is, Dr. Harry Specht, and he came in, uh, gentle, Gentleman Harry, and gave a presentation on Florida's native killifish, and he brought some jars in with the males and females, and I was uh, hooked from that meeting on with uh, not only with the killies, but with our Florida natives and with the realization that, that these fishes could be found right in our backyard. And that really hooked me on the natives and, and my interest grew from there. You mentioned killies. Now, what kind of killies did you bring at that time? The, the killifish that I remember from that meeting were the um, funulus chrysotis. That's a, what they call a golden-eared top minnow. And they had a pair of them in the jar there, and they fit in a one-gallon jar comfortably for, for transport. That is a probably a two-inch long fish, kind of torpedo-shaped. Uh, the females have like a golden spangling across the body, which, which for a female killie or, or, or fish in general is remarkable that, that she had some color and pattern. And then the males, in addition to the spangling, had bright red uh, stipples throughout the body and reddish-pink fins. Uh, that, with the, with the golden markings around the head and, and, and jaw, uh, makes for a pretty spectacular and colorful fish. And uh, in, in a little bit of a subtle way, but still a, a very attractive fish and uh, one that would catch your atten attention if you didn't realize that you had them in your home state or, or in the ditch down your street. So right after that, did you get fish right away or what, what did you do after uh, Harry came and gave the talk? Well, I think there was probably an auction that day. And as I recall, I think he had a, a couple of giveaways and I probably got a, a pair of those fish to take home and, and to play with a little bit. And about the same time, there were a few other members of the Aquarium Society at that time that were either, uh, either um, breeding or already keeping uh, killifish, including the natives. And just having those other people around just to kind of uh, feed off and thrive off interest really um, helped to fuel it. 
and um, before long, the realization that we could go out and, and have our own little forays to, to get our own just kind of took it from there. So in, in Florida then, where would you go to get native fishes? Or, or maybe you can talk a little bit about um, Florida and then other parts that you've uh, collected fish from. Yeah, well, the best way to get native fishes, obviously, in my opinion, is to go collect your own. Uh, that allows you to, to have the adventure of going out to do it, get outside. At the same time, you're, you're learning a little bit more about the habitat that the fish come from uh, that you might then translate into how you might keep them in home aquaria. Really, the, the state of Florida is there isn't too many areas where you wouldn't find native fishes. In fact, you can find them in your local drainage ditch if it's got water in it, the detention or retention ponds you see in, in many residential areas and neighborhoods, and, of course, our, our streams and uh, rivers, uh, swamps, lakes, and even in the um, you, you, you can find killifish and, and aquarium-friendly natives in, in our um, shorelines and estuaries and bays as well. Uh, anywhere really where you, where you find habitat, and that would be if you see shallow uh, vegetated areas, you're likely to find native fishes, either of the killifish variety or, or of some of the others like the sunfishes and so forth. So do you have to have any special license or permit, or what do you need in that regard for collection? Yeah, well, um, in most parts of the United States, you would be required to um, have a general freshwater fishing license, and, and most of what we're talking about are going to be freshwater fishes. And so I think the best advice would be to uh, check with the the local or state uh, Game and Fish Commission. In Florida, it's the Florida Freshwater Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. And usually on the website, they'll, they'll publish um, requirements for licensure, either for fresh or salt water, for residents and non-residents and so forth. So, yes, to answer your question, in, in Florida, you have to have a, uh, a license, a valid license, unless you're a senior citizen, to fish um, with a dip net or seine for, for your own natives. For parts of the state and for certain species that might be listed as protected under the um, Threatened and Endangered Species Act, those cannot be collected uh, unless you can obtain uh, and qualify for a uh, special permit. Sometimes they'll call that a scientific collecting permit. And there are other states that have similar restrictions. And again, uh, it is always best to check with the local Game and Fish Commission to find out what, what the restrictions are and what you can and can't do. Okay, now we'll definitely talk more about the collection aspect, but for some of the folks that maybe aren't quite as adventurous, can you get natives in the pet store at all or you know, in your local store? Well, that's a good question. Occasionally, you will run into them, and I think probably some of the more common natives that you'll see in a pet store, uh, I think the, the flagfish, American flagfish, which is Jordanella floridae, is one of the more common ones. That's a pretty colorful fish. Uh, a lot of times, they're sold uh, with, with the um, sales pitch being that they're great algae eaters, which they are. They, they're really good at eating uh, the, the hair or the beard algae that you get in tanks. And so folks that have an algae problem, will be recommended to get flagfish. Besides the, their algae-eating ability, it's just a nice fish. They're, they're beautiful fish. Besides the flagfish, what you're probably most likely to see is probably natives as contaminants, perhaps in a feeder fish lot. Sometimes you'll see um, your uh, mosquito fish, gambusia, or perhaps uh, occasionally you'll find your uh, Florida bluefin killifish, which is Lucania goodeye, as contaminants in feeder fish lots. And, um, you know, if, if you are, are paying attention and have a little patience and can coax the person in the store to pick your fish out, that's another way you can, you can find uh, native fish in the pet store, maybe uh, inadvertently on the store's part for stocking them. 
So what do those Florida bluefin killies look like if, if someone saw those in a group of feeder guppies? Those are a small fish. Typically, they only get about an inch and a half long. They have a, um, a dark band, a longitudinal band across the, the sides of the fish, both the males and the females. They're generally kind of a dull or a light uh, tannish gray color. And the females, the males, however, will have, as the name implies, a blue fin, um, typically on the dorsal and the anal fin. Occasionally that can also be the anal fin can be red or orange or yellow or a combination of blue and, and red and, and those colors. A lot of times that's dependent on, on the geographic location of the, of the fish where it was found, or sometimes it's just a variation in the population. So the males have the color in the fins, uh, and the females do not, but they're attractive fish nonetheless and real good ones for the aquarium, hardy, easy to keep uh, under um, average aquarium conditions. Let's say you decide you're going to go out on this adventure now. Um, what do you need to do or think about when you want to go collect some natives? Well, um, depending on how far you're going to go, if you're fortunate enough to have uh, uh, a detention pond or a ditch in your backyard, you can march out there with a, with a dip net in a bucket and, and get the job done. If you um, find that you need to travel a little further or that you want to actually take a, um, a, make an adventure out of it, maybe a, a long weekend or, or a couple days or, or a full day trip, then you want to have a, a little bit more preparation. And in that case, you got to understand that if you're going to be keeping the fishes contained outside of their native habitat but, but not in your tanks for, for any length of time, over a half hour or so, you want to be able to, to keep them alive. And just like you would with a, with a bucket full of bait fish, you're going to have to aerate them uh, with one of your standard uh, aerator pumps that, that are battery powered that you can pick up at a bait shop or, or a local store. And you want to keep them cool. In other words, you don't want to keep them out in the heat, uh, either out in the sunlight or in, the, in a hot car, because heat is going to kill the fish uh, as quick as anything. Uh, so besides a bucket and a dip net, you, you maybe would want to bring an air pump, some plastic bags to bag the fish in, and uh, address appropriately. If you're going in water, you want to always be careful of what type of water you're going in. You'll either want to wear boots or water shoes, depending on how cold it is. And as you get... Uh, more into it uh, and take longer trips, you'll bring things like uh, uh, photography equipment, fish bags, medications or chemicals to help to remove substances from the water. For example, um, you'll use things like what they call polyfilter to remove ammonia. If you, if you keep the fish for prolonged periods of time, you'll want to do water changes on the fish if you're keeping them for more than a couple days in transit, things like that. Okay. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the different fish that are in Florida in a second. But for any of the trips that you've taken, I guess many of these might be available in terms of locations and species with, with that book. Can you talk a little bit about your book? Okay, yeah, you're talking about the, uh, the Florida Collecting Guide. And um, that's a, a book that I was uh, fortunate enough to be involved with and, and which I've co-authored. The book or, or guide, it really started out as, as an idea that we were, we were going to create a pamphlet for, for out-of-state visitors that wanted to go collect Florida native fish. And, uh, you know, two editions later and now on our third edition, it's kind of uh, evolved into what I think is a pretty comprehensive resource uh, that talks about the different native uh, fishes. This is non-game native fishes that make their home in Florida. How to identify them, we've got photographs in the book, and how to go about uh, collecting them depending on the different water body type, the type of fish you're going after, and uh, how to keep them in the, in the home aquarium as well and which ones are suitable for that. Okay, well, we're going to cover a little bit more about each of those 
different maybe collection areas or, or uh, groups of places that you would collect in some of the species. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, we're back. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania. And we're continuing our conversation with Brian Skidmore discussing North American native fishes. So, Brian, in your book, you mentioned, I guess, a couple of different types of locations to to get fish or different types of water bodies. Can you maybe describe some of the major types of, of water bodies you would be collecting? Sure, sure. Well, Florida, being a relatively flat state, has a lot of inland lakes and swamps and uh, and water bodies uh, that, are, that are no flow or low flow. And uh, in those, are uh, you would find great collecting opportunities for a lot of your native killifishes, sunfishes, including the, the, the dwarf or pygmy sunfishes of the genus Alisoma. We also have a lot of uh, rivers, creeks, and streams, most of which are going to harbor a lot of different native fish species, including some of your shiners, again, killifish, and especially as we get up into the Florida panhandle where we get a little bit higher gradient, meaning you get a little bit more fall from from the headwaters downstream, you'll find faster flowing rivers and creeks there, and you'll actually find a little bit different type and species of fish as you get up in the north part of the state, including a a greater diversity of fish they call darters and shiners, which are of the the minnow family. And the Florida panhandle is uh, is a great place to collect some of the fishes that you might associate more with the southeastern states. Uh, Again, the, the darters and the minnows in those higher gradient streams up in that part of the state. We've also got in Florida a lot of natural freshwater springs, and the springs are also a great place to see and collect uh, native fishes of different types. So I guess you've gone and you've collected from some of these areas, and you mentioned a little bit about dip netting. Is there anything real tricky or different with each of the different areas you mentioned with regard to collection? Yep, that's a good question. Well, depending on, on what your target fish is, in other words, if you go out collecting with the idea that you want to collect top minnows and uh, are going to go to a specific uh, location or habitat to get those, you'll want to have the right equipment with you and you'll want to understand where, where you're going to find the fish. Some of the, the starhead top minnows, which include your, your line top minnows and, and uh, for example, funulus linealatus, are fast-moving, surface-swimming fish and are very difficult to catch unless you're very fast with a dip net or unless you have uh, two or three people to help out and have a large seine. In that case, you would seine from the shore out about, oh, probably 10 10 or 15 feet 
and um, walk the seine along where someone maybe up ahead is, is splashing towards the seine, and then you curl it back to the shore and corral the fish in that way. In fact, that the seine method is a, is a great way to catch, with minimal effort, a lot of fish, variety and, and type, and you can get killifish, sunfish, top minnows, etc., using a seine in shallow water and specifically in vegetated areas. The seine can be difficult to, to run through heavily vegetated or areas with a lot of branches and sticks. And in that case, the only method really may be to use a dip net. If you work hard with a dip net, you can come up with good results too. Now, some of the fishes like your minnows and shiners that are faster moving and tend to swim maybe out in the, uh, the deeper waters or the more swifter flowing waters can, can be taken with a dip net. And again, a seine may help in those cases too. There's another type of net you might use on the deeper water or faster swimming fish like shiners and minnows, and that's what they call the gentleman up in Louisiana that, that invented, we can say, what he calls the shiner scoop, which is basically a, a metal hoop about two feet in diameter with a net bag on the back, and then you tie a, uh, a leader line to it and throw it out and reel it back in, kind of like a, kind of like a cast net that you drag through the water like a trawl. And that can be a way of, of capturing fish that are a little bit out of reach for a dip net but are in uh, deeper water and can be kind of corralled in with that, uh, what they call shiner scoop or, or throw net. And so that's another way. Now, a lot of fishes, like here, we mentioned the golden-eared top minnow, the funnulus chrysotis earlier. Um, those killifish, as well as some of the pygmy sunfish that we find in Florida, which are really pretty little fish, they only get about an inch long. The males are, are just beautiful in breeding color, almost a black body color with bright blue spangling. Those can be caught in very shallow water, sometimes less than an inch deep, and a small dip net dragged to the shore up into the very shallow edge of the water can yield um, your top minnows and, and pygmy sunfish. And a lot of times people are walking through those areas of the habitat not realizing that that's, um, that that's a, a high-density area for small fishes like that. It's not always in the one or two feet of water. So depending on, on what you're looking for, you've got to look in the different portions of the habitat and you may have an edge of a river or stream or lake and depending on the the depth of water you're in and the type of vegetation you're going there you may as you step out from the shore be looking at um, different species occupying different niches within the habitat and if you know what you're looking for you can you can target that depth or, or that habitat to get the fish that you want okay now one of my favorite natives is the the blue nose shiner um can you maybe talk a little bit about the blue-nose shiners and, and maybe describe them a little bit? Sure. The, uh, the blue-nose shiner is um, one of our uh, Florida native shiners that, that is uh, associated with the minnow family. We've, they're in the genus uh, Terranotropus, which is a sub, some call it a subgenus to the larger genus Nitropus, which is your uh, minnows and shiners that occur throughout the southeastern states. Now, the blue-nose shiner that you mentioned is uh, actually listed as a state-protected species, and that's because they're fairly rare or relatively, compared to some of the other shiner species, rarer in the state. But they're found in usually some of the streams and river systems in the northern part of the state and typically more common in the panhandle than they are in the eastern part of the state or northeast. But basically this fish is about uh, two to three inches long, and um, the females are relatively nondescript and, and don't look too different from some of your other shiner species in that they're kind of torpedo-shaped, have a lightish gray body and a dark longitudinal stripe, kind of like the stripe we described for the, for the uh, bluefin killing. These fish are a little bit longer than that, and the males, the mature males, let's say, 
actually develop a brilliant iridescent blue nose, and then they get these very um, large flag-like dorsal and anal fins that also get colored up in, in black and with some yellow tints, and these guys are just spectacular when they're in breeding condition. The downside of those is that doesn't last long. It's almost like a, a trout or a salmon. When they get to that stage, they call them terminal males, and uh, they're fully developed and beautiful, and at the end of the breeding season, they basically drop dead in, in full form. And so, uh, unfortunately, that, that beauty doesn't last too long, but while it's there, they're just spectacular fish to look at. Wow, you made me sad now. <laughs> so um, you mentioned a number of different species. What would uh, maybe if you could describe a little bit about you know once they get back and you're keeping them, what what kind of a aquarium care do they need, and maybe what are optimal types of conditions to keep some of these you know different groups? Yeah, well, I think the best thing to do is to take a cue from where you're collecting your fishes now. In Florida, that can be pretty easy, but native fishes, North American native fishes, are found not just in Florida, but they're found throughout the United States, and that means you've got fish out in the deserts out west, you've got fishes up in the northeast and in the northern states, and then you've got the southeast, which which happens to be the highest diversity um, area for, for native fishes in North America, and that's where you get a lot of your your um, darters and shiners and sunfishes and catfishes and this huge diversity in the states kind of centered around Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky, up in there. That is just a super diversity area for North American natives with all the, the high gradient mountain streams and so forth, high oxygen waters up there. And um, so in, in that case, if you were collecting fishes, say, for example, in northern Tennessee, you're likely going to be in pretty cold water in a high gradient stream. That means really high oxygen coming through the water. If you're going to try to keep fishes from a northern stream or a central uh, southeast stream like that, for example, some of the darters of the, of the genus Ethiostom or Persina, you're going to want to have a tank with a lot of water flow in it. And if you live in a state like Florida where your summers get up to 90 degrees, you, you need to have a chiller on your tank or you forget, can forget about keeping a fish like that because it's not going to work. They're, they're just not tolerant of warm temperatures. On the other hand, if you're in Florida and you're going to keep a fish that's already acclimated to a little bit warmer temperatures, like, for example, some of our native shiners or our killifish species, they can tolerate a little bit higher temperatures, for example, in the upper 70s and even 80s. Sometimes you go out collecting and you'll find water in the 90-degree mark and you're collecting fish and similar fish. So you know they're more tolerant down here and they're going to be tolerant of your conditions if they're, if they're similar to, the, to your outdoor ambient conditions. Now, even in Florida, for fish that are coming from flowing streams like some of your shiners and minnow species and some of the darters, you're going to want to give those fish some water circulation, in other words, with a power filter or a power head. And, and that goes with um, also having higher oxygen content in the water. In other words, you don't want to put a little, a little slow bubbling corner filter in there for a darter or a minnow. They're just not going to get enough water movement and enough oxygen. They're not going to thrive for you. However, you can, you can have the, the, the lower water flow condition with uh, some of your killies and, and top minnows and flagfish and sunfish because they're used to living in swamps with lower oxygen content and they're not as demanding. Okay, now in terms of maybe aquascaping or you know maybe things like water pH that sort of thing, are there any major considerations that you you want to discuss? Well, my personal preference, uh, as far as my own aquaria, is I like to have a natural look, and that means I like to use live plants and native uh, substrate, in other words, gravel or rocks or, or or wood, 
And um, but that doesn't mean you have to do that. Um, the, the fish don't care as long as you give them cover and substrate similar to what they're used to in their in their native environment. A lot of fishes will use the plants to lay their eggs. For example, killifish will tend to lay their eggs either in the roots or in the fine leaf plants that you'll find out in the marshes or streams or or, um, or ditches that you find them in. And so if you can provide a substrate, it doesn't have to be a live plant. You could put a synthetic mop in there or a plastic plant or, or something else, and the fish will still go in there and spawn. The fish, the fish are going to do what the fish are going to do, which they're programmed to do, and that's, and that's to live and to breed if, if given uh, decent conditions. My personal preference is to have live plants, which means you've got to have some decent lighting, UV light, fluorescent lighting, and so forth. What about feeding? Since a lot of these are, you know, since obviously they're coming out of the wild, what would you recommend or what, what should people think about in terms of food? You're going to have finicky eaters, uh, and you're going to have eaters that uh, some of your native fishes that'll, that'll accept flake food uh, right when you put them in the tank. And uh, it's just going to vary. And we talked about the Florida flagfish. If you're going to expect to do well with that fish, you probably ought to have some algae on hand. But again, if you don't and you're not growing your own algae, you can get one of the high vegetable variety flakes that you find in the pet store or even some of the frozen foods have like a spirulina mixture to them or whatever and they're going to give the fish the nutrients that they would get normally from plant material. You can also keep live plants in the tank that the flagfish will be happy to eat up for you too. And so if you, if you are keeping that type of fish and are also trying to keep a planted tank, bear in mind that some of the more tender leaf plants are going to get chewed up by fish like flagfish and some of your other live bearer type species. Now, foods for some of your other fish, for example, your, your darters and your other top minnows and some of the catfish and so forth, always appreciate the, the whole foods or the live foods. And a lot of times you could buy frozen foods that are just as eagerly accepted by your sunfishes and top minnows and, and catfish. Some fish tend to be more finicky, and, and if you are growing your own live foods or hatching in the case of, of brine shrimp, that'll always be appreciated. Now, if you're keeping a fish like the, the real tiny three-quarter to one-inch pygmy sunfish, those guys just aren't equipped to deal with larger food chunks. And if you hatch your own brine shrimp or are able to grow uh, smaller foods like grindle worms, which is a, um, which is a worm that, that grows in soil that you can culture, Serious hobbyists often uh, keep these live food cultures going in their fish room to feed their, the fish that don't normally eat uh, your standard flake foods. And if you're going to keep fish like that, uh, then you better have on hand a live food source. Well, you definitely have a, a wealth of knowledge, Brian. Now, where would somebody who doesn't know, obviously, quite as much as you go to learn more about native fishes? Well, I always recommend that someone pick up a book, even before they go collecting, because you want to be able to identify the fish, you want to know where to find them, and you want to know um, how to care for them once you get them. But the Internet can also be a great source, used with caution, of course, with, as with any information source on the Internet. You need to be careful. But there are some great Internet sources that are very reliable. I'd say the, the, the very best location for obtaining information about native fishes is the North American Native Fishes Association, or NANFA, which is the acronym. And they've got a website that is www.nanfa.org. It provides links to information and photographs. They have a forum on there for questions and answers. Their members are very knowledgeable, and you can actually join and become a member online as well. That is by far the best source. They put out a, uh, a quarterly journal with more information in it called American Currents, and they also offer annual conventions for people that are interested in native fish to get together, hear lectures from, from other hobbyists, from collectors, from university professionals, really just a great forum to learn and uh, enjoy native fishes with people that, 
that do the same. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, Brian, that was so much information and, and really a, kind of a cool aspect, I think, of the hobby that many people don't really think about, you know, our own native fishes. I want to thank very much our guest, Brian Skidmore, our producers, especially Mark Winter, for making this show possible. Did you have any uh, final words, Brian, for our listeners? Well, I guess the final words would be uh, don't overlook uh, North American native fishes. We've got a great diversity in, in the United States and in Canada. The fish are attractive. They've got great behavior. It gives you an opportunity to get outside if you want to go collect your own, and it's a great tool to educate your kids about our environment. Well, thanks again, Brian, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Please be sure to check out Brian's Aquarium Mania show page, and uh, we'll have some of the recommended links he's discussed on that page. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, one of my favorite aquariums, or consider a uh, native fish collection trip. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores and keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.